From WHQR Public Media, this is the Newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman. Thanks for listening to a special edition for the 2023 Wilmington City Council election. On this show, an interview with incumbent Kevin Spears, who was elected to his first term in 2019. Spears was born and raised in Wilmington and is currently raising his family here. He's the former president of Peace for the Port, a nonprofit focusing on reducing community violence. And he previously ran for school board in 2016, and he won in the primary but lost in the general. Although he told WHQR he learned a lot of valuable lessons about campaigning that year. While the Wilmington City Council race is technically nonpartisan, Spears is running with the support of the New Hanover County Democratic Party, and we'll have a link to Spears' campaign site on our show page. We asked Spears a host of questions, largely drawn from our community agenda program, and we'll have info about that as well. Kevin Spears, incumbent city council member running for re-election in 2023. Thank you so much for being here. No problem. Thanks for having me. So before we get into the questions that we have built from our conversations with the community, I want to start with what you think. What do you think are the biggest issues facing Wilmington, and how do you hope to tackle them in the next four years if you're reelected? I think the issues remain the same. Of course, homelessness has skyrocketed in, in the eyes and minds of people of this community. You know, homelessness is a very serious problem, and for different reasons for to different people. Um, a lot of people don't want to see homelessness ness <laughs> and and some people are really concerned about it. So they're they're working to to try to do the best that they can. And um, you know, if if you talk about the issues, um, of course, affordable housing, housing, um I think people are talking about the job market and jobs and, and economic development. Uh, we're talking about the environment and things of that nature, but I mean, let's just be honest. Those are the trendy things. They're, they're trendy, but you know, they're they're also relevant to how we live. But I don't think that anybody can come along and say that nothing has been done. I don't think anybody can say that. I I know for certain that we've we've done things. I've been very instrumental in in doing things. So, so to that point, I think one of the number one things we hear about across the city, affordable housing. Right. And broadly, that means a lot of things, but we're hearing from folks who are making 30 to 60% AMI, people working in kitchens, people working in service industry jobs. We're also hearing from people kind of closer to the middle, you know, cops, uh, doctors, not doctors, sorry, cops, nurses, <laughs> um, teachers, folks like that. The city's been pretty outspoken about its approach to affordable housing over the last couple of years. But I'm just curious, you know, where do you think the city is at? What more does it have to do? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's, you know, when in between a rock and a hard place because in one ear you're hearing the city is overdeveloped, too much development, too much development. And then in the other ear you're hearing not enough housing, not enough affordable housing. And, you know, um, it's it's a pickle. It really is a pickle. And what can we do? And, you know, we've been, and I won't say we, I'll say I, have been uh, very instrumental in asking those questions when developers come before council. You know, where are we with with A and I? AMI, um, you know, if you're trying to do a project, where how why don't you expand or broaden 
the uh, affordable housing aspect, you know, to get an incentive, you know, not just 10%. You got a 200-unit project, and 10% of 200 is 20 for 15 years. You know, so expand one or the other. Go 30 units for 15 years or go 20 units for 20 years or 30 years. You know, there, there's there's some wiggle room in there, and... You know, I've been the one to say, hey, let's let's do that, you know, and I think others have, have, you know, gotten on board with asking some of those questions, but a lot of times it's been, you know, go alone to get alone. You know, oh I'm I'm okay with that project. No, let's 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 be more innovative. Let's let's push the agenda a little more. Because I don't wanna be one of the people that they talk about that's on the council that's <laughs> a developer that's involved in real estate. I'm not I go to work every day. I work hard every day. But not hard, but I work every day. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> so one of the things experts tell us when we're looking at a place like Wilmington, which is I think we've got 2%, 3% buildable land left. So everything we build in the future, almost everything we build in the future is going to be redevelopment. And in order to supply the staggering number of housing units we need, you got to build denser, you got to build vertically, or both. Right. A lot of people agree with that. A lot of people don't want that in their backyard. True. So one of the things we've been asking the candidates and one of the questions I hear from the community is, where should this go? Where should this denser vertical development go in Wilmington? Well, that's a good question. And, you know, just reminds me of the chicken and egg, which came first. And and what we're seeing is um, being a native Wilmingtonian and most native Wilmingtonians or Wilmingtonians who've been here for an extended period of time are accustomed to seeing our city in a certain way. So we are accustomed to seeing trees. You know, we are we are accustomed to seeing open fields and things of that nature. But, you know, you look now and if there's a space between two houses, I mean, right between you and and that keyboard, developers will put an apartment right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's that's that's just that's where we're going now. But I, I am displeased um, with some of the development that I've seen where, say, the perfect example for me is the there was a house across from D.C. Virgo in Catacorner from the Community Boys and Girls Club. There was one house on that block. And that one house, they I don't know who bought it, they tore it down. And there are now, I don't know, four or five, like, quadruplexes there and I just think to myself had the owners of that property the previous owners of that property had the wherewithal to do something like that or had the access to resources to do something like that that kind of helps us with the housing problem you know what I mean because there are some people that don't have access to those resources we get it I don't know I don't have access to those type of resources I don't know if you do but, I mean, it's it's just, it really feeds into what I said previously. We're accustomed to seeing things a certain way. So if you've seen a house, you've seen a house on a corner for the past 30 years. That house goes away, and now you see four or five or six quadruplexes. We never seen that coming. And, and that's the nature in which we're going in this community. And some people are definitely not happy about it. Some people will be pleased, but if you do that, you're doing that, and the price point is not for someone who's in the range of a 
workforce housing person or someone that's on the lower part of the socioeconomic status ladder, you know, so it's problematic. So that's that leads directly into one of the questions we hear a lot, specifically from places like Castle Street, from the north side, from what is now being apparently called the Soda Pop District. And that's when you see development investment, we hear from people, one, that the sort of culture of the neighborhood gets knocked out of place, but also that they feel like they're either going to get priced out or they're left out of those opportunities. And I know this is a really complicated issue and the city doesn't have total control over it. But where do you do you see a role for the city getting involved in that space to try and ameliorate some of those side effects of gentrification? And if so, like, what do you think the city could do? I think they could do something. They won't. Just to be honest, they won't. I think it's being perpetuated. Seven Kevin Spears on council, what would you do? Seven Kevin Spears on council, that's dangerous. Um, but what would I do? I would, again, it's, to me it's about access to resources. You know, what do we have in place? You, if you, you followed it, and, it, and if you followed it, you've watched the zoning changes. You've watched the, the changing of uh, the land development code. Hadn't been done in 40 years, it's done. You know, um, so you're you're kind of seeing us revert back to some things, um, accessory dwelling housing units. That that's a huge thing in the north side of town. Um, if you're coming up, coming around from Prince's Place and turn on what is that Rankin, and go up, all of those older homes have garage apartments. You know, even off of 23rd Street and places like that, you have garage apartments. So. You know, that was normally where people could find a affordable housing and it, you know, it, it was affordable and in and, and pretty nice neighborhoods as well and, and comfortable and not feel priced out and no no conflict. But, you know, what, what we're seeing now is really a perpetuation of gentrification is it, the only way to say it. And, you know, there are relationships. People have relationships where, you know, a developer comes in on a friendly basis or a developer comes in and. You know, there's a there's someone who works for a company that is doing some development and it and it looks weird. But, you know, so to answer your question, seven, Kevin Spears on city council, you know, we we make it hard. You know, we make it stricter for for these changes to happen. You know, we're going to stick to those um, those zonings. You know, we're going to make it where people can live comfortably in their community because, you know, you look at it now, what was it, a couple of weeks ago where someone was talking about a, a half a million dollar home on, on Rankin Street or Red Cross? But we know what that does. It drives up the property taxes and the values for, for the homes around it. And so gentrification, it looks good. It's like this shiny little thing that, that makes the neighborhood look really good, but it is also the mechanism that is going to drive people out because if if you're sitting there comfortably for the last 15 to 20 years at um paying a property tax that you can afford. And then a half a million dollar home goes here, half a million dollar home goes there. You're seeing a property tax creep up $100, $200, $300. Sometimes it jumps and and you're not really prepared for that. So, so again, seven Kevin Spears on city council, we make it a little harder to, to make those changes like that. When we're talking about housing, you know, we're talking about everything from luxury housing to sort of middle of the road workforce housing to affordable housing. And there's some folks who've been pushed all the way out the bottom of housing onto the streets. Right. 
What are your thoughts on the city's role in helping homeless residents? Because I know it's there's a lot of nonprofit partners also involved in here, but the city has a role. So what, how do you think about it? Well, again, it goes for me, it goes back to innovation. What can we do? You know, uh, public-private partnerships, again, something that sounds cliche or sounds trendy, but, you know, we've, we've done a couple of those projects um, with the Good Shepherd and, uh, what is it, Lakeshore Commons that they have out behind Legion Stadium. Um, that's 40, 40 units partnership that, you know, really, really nice, um, nice living spaces for, for people who, who have been chronically on the streets. And also, you know, the, the um, Eden Village project. Eden Village, um, you know, the, it, it's come with some sentiments that, you know, people haven't really been pleased with it, but it is a mechanism where, where it's allowing people to, who have been chronically homeless to get off the streets. And, you know, um, people don't like the model compared to the, the model that the Good Shepherd put in place. You know, if whatever your ability is, if you have the ability in, it's capped. I think Lake Show Commons is $300, up to $300. But, you know, at Eden Village is a set amount. So, you know, you're, you're going to have to go out and do something to, to pay a rent. But, you know, there, there are more partnerships. We have to be more uh, more savvy, more innovative about what we can do. But we most definitely can do something. But we cannot criminal, criminalize homelessness. That's, that's number one. So there are a lot of things we can do. But the number one thing we can't do is criminalize being homeless. And, and you have to factor in that everybody that's homeless is not a drug addict. Everybody that's homeless is doesn't have some type of uh, mental health condition. Some people are out there because they feel safer there. They want to be there. So, you know, they're, they're not, we can't demonize people for, for choosing to be on the streets. Certainly we've, we've spoken with experts who put the rate of substance abuse and mental health issues way below half. Right. So even if you take it at the high end, you still got hundreds of people who are on the street because of economic factors. Right. And there, there are some people, and it may sound weird, but there are some folks who have um, some of these permanent supportive housing, and they choose not to stay in those homes. They choose not to. So there, there's some sense of security that they have from being where they are, and it's safer than being inside. I want to pivot a little bit and talk about another thing that we hear from folks every day. People text me about it when they're stuck in traffic because they're mad about traffic. Right. So, again, some of this is the city's issue. Some of this is WAVE, which is part of the city is, is partly over. Some of this is, you know, uh, state-run roads. But how do you think the city is doing on just managing the mind-boggling number of cars that are out there? That's a good question. I don't. I don't think the city can control the the amount of cars. Uh, we can contribute to the better flow of traffic. We could possibly contribute to um, better operation of wave transit. Maybe, 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 um, because we do we do supply funding for them, but. You know, I don't get to call over the wave and say, "Hey, send a bus over to you know go go pick Ben up, go pick Ben's family up." You know that I don't get to do that. Or, hey, there's a new route. I saw some people who you know 
every day I see him walking, let's put a new rod over there. We don't get to do that. I wish we did, but we don't. So, you know, there, there has to be, again, a collaborative effort about how we do things. And and if there was a, you know, a better way of creating better routes and a better way of attracting people to public transportation, then we probably need to do it. But I'll be honest, the uh, the study that we had done a couple years ago, no bueno. Yeah. Yeah. You you don't you don't get more ridership by cutting routes. I think. One of the concerns we've heard from public transit advocates is that Wave is facing a pretty sizable budget shortfall from the feds. Is that a place you think the city is willing to step in if Wave, if it's not about telling Wave what to do at the local level, at the root level, but just like they just need an infusion of cash to keep running? Well, I think we tried to solve that problem um, during the last election, and the voters chose not to. You're talking about the uh, the transit tax, right? Yeah. Yeah, a quarter cents sales tax. Not a quarter, a quarter of a penny that would generate maybe 10, 15 million. Don't quote me on it, but, you know, a pretty sizable amount to where you have a stable flow of cash for wave transit. And for some reason, people didn't latch on. They just didn't. Yeah. And, and and so, you know, again, we're paying for it, and you can probably look in the next couple months, some <laughs> mid-next year, hey, City of Wilmington, hey, New Hanover County, uh, we need some more money over here because we didn't do the right thing, and we should have. The other part about getting around town that we hear from folks is about, you know, walkability and bikeability. Downtown you can kind of walk around, but a lot of Wilmington – I'll say this. My wife would prefer that I not ride a bicycle across town because it's a death sentence. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I, is that a place you think the city could do more work or is that just not on, not like on the radar? Well, you know, yeah. Since I've been on council, I've been saying we need to make the lights brighter, the street lights brighter. You know, that's that's number one at night. That's the number one thing we, we could do. But also, you know, just, it's just rough. It's a lot of bad drivers in Wilmington now, you know, and I don't know if we can regulate that. I don't know if we can be um, more present. You know, we also have a, an, an issue. Um, we're, we're understaffed as it relates to WPD, and, you know, that's not at any fault or any expense to, to the current chief. You know, it's it's just competitive. It's been competitive. So, you know, we've raised our starting salary for WPD, and then the other agencies have matched it. You know, there was a situation a couple years ago uh, where we raised our starting salaries and the sheriff's department put a a big old sign. (laughs) I saw it. It was on Eastwood. Well, no. Did you you miss the one that was close to the turn by by the police department? Oh, man. Yeah, they put one that close. Yeah, that that was... That was kind of problematic. People felt a certain way. Well, that was going to be my next question is about public safety. And that's the number one thing we hear from folks is they're concerned. They've heard Donnie Williams talk to city council about he's short staffed. And then to do the job he wants to do, he would actually like more officers. But recruiting and retaining is just really tough for every law enforcement 
agency right. right now. I mean, I take your point that the city can't get in an endless bidding war with other law enforcement agencies, but is there anything else you think the city can do to help the police department staff up? I mean, I think we've done the best that we can do um, to provide incentives to to raise our, our starting salary for for um, excuse me people coming in to to start in law enforcement. Excuse me, but you know, I mean, what else can we do? There's no magic wand. There's 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 no formula because again, whatever we do, the other agencies will do. And it, it is competitive. And, and then also, the, you know, the beach can't be an incentive. Driving a patrol car home can't be an incentive. You know, you, you have to do something. You, uh, it's innovation. You have to be innovative. You have to be creative about what you can do. And then, you know, I don't know if it's moving people through the ranks faster, you know, um, acknowledging people that, are, that have been um, on the force for an extreme period of time you know, I, I just I don't know what it is that we can do, but you know, it it is it's it's extremely competitive and, and I think that's also the culture we're in right now as a just a workforce in general. People are not going on a job planning to stay there for twenty years now. They're they're moving to where the money is. Then and you know, that's just it. Money and benefits. So if you can walk on a job on day one and, and, and have health benefits or incentives day one compared to waiting 90 days or, you know, paying a percentage where someone just 100 percent day one, you know, you're going to you're going to lose to that every time. So aside from staffing, in in other terms, how do you feel about the Wilmington Police Department and the job they're doing? Well, I, I think they're doing an excellent job. Crime is down. I'm glad you asked me that question. I, I've been in a lot of uh, talks and, you know, power breakfast here lately and, you know, a lot of people were harping on crime, but crime crime is down, and it may not seem like crime is down. And I think a lot of people, you know, when things happen, everybody just jumps on it. Oh, there was a shooting. There was a shooting at Burger King. There was a, a, a shooting uh, anywhere, anywhere in Wilmington that you can talk about a shooting being or a shooting has happened, and, and people harp on it, but crime is down. It, it may not seem that way, but I think the chief has done the best job with uh with what he has and 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 he made changes to you know to adapt you know he he brought back um Kelvin Hargrove as the deputy chief and 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 he has a great relationship with the community and and I'll be honest you know I'm biased as it as it relates to Donnie I I think everybody knows that I've known Donnie for for 30 years probably I don't know I just turned 47 yesterday I made known Donnie for 40 years to be honest so I am biased, and, I, and I'm happy to see what he does. And, and don't get me wrong, if I, if I have to call him about certain stuff, I do. You know, uh, if people watch the meetings or watch the agenda briefings, if, if there's something that kind of slides by me based on conversations that he and I have had, uh, you know, he knows I'm going to call him. I'll say it in a meeting. Wait a minute, Don didn't tell me about that. I'll, I'll call him when this meeting is over. So, you know, we have a, a good rapport. And, and if I see things in the community, i call him. If I see things in the community that I'm displeased about, I call uh, Deputy Chief um, Hargrove. So I, I, I think out of anybody that's on the council, or anybody that's attempting to be on council, and I've, I've had the best relationship, not just with this chief, but with the, with the past chief. You know, Chief Evangelist and I, I was, I was one of the people in the group where if things were wrong or if he wanted to, relay a message to us, I was in that group. So, you know, I, I have a long standing relationship with law enforcement and 
Wilmington, North Carolina. One of the things you mentioned at the top was, you know, people worried about economic stability. They want jobs that right. help them afford to live where they right. want to live here, where they, especially if you're a longtime Wilmingtonian, you don't want to have to move to Castle Hayne or Burgall or Leland. And and that won't even matter because, I mean, you still need a job. You still need a good job. You still job. need a job. You still need a good job to live out there. So how do you feel about, and again, the city is one of a lot of moving parts, but how do you feel like, how about the city's role in generating economic opportunity for, for people who live here? There's always room for improvement. But I think we've done a good job. I think we've done a great job of in, of providing incentives again and and I have, have been the person that that asked you know if the the median for this job is 109,000 right who are you going to employ you know you you have to look at that it, you, we have some major employers in in our community but who do you employ and for what positions because that matters you know, power breakfast, I talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but not in the manner that people normally think about it because people look at it as a, as a negative thing. There's, it's not someone taking another person's job. It's someone being afforded the opportunity to, to do better for themselves, and we need to do that. If, if you're a huge employer and you say, you know what, I do employ minorities, but they're all janitors or they're all kitchen staff, you know, you, you, have, you don't have anybody in the C-suite, I think that's problematic. So if you got a job and the mean is, the median is 109, you know, who's making what? Let's see it. Let's put an equity lens in there to see, you know, what we're doing. Because we as the city of Wilmington, I think we set the standard for what we bring here. And I always say that. We've raised our pay rates. So if someone comes and wants to do business here and, and they're promising these really good jobs, we want to see who, who, who's getting the jobs. Are, are the natives getting the jobs? Because they need to, you know. I've I've been in rooms where people say they we can't find we can't find workers we can't find and, and I said I I can't believe that I said I can't sit in this room and honestly let you say something like that because I know better I know there are people here who have the skills that want to do the job so maybe you need to relax some of the barriers you know maybe HR needs to go back to being HR not an algorithm where you have to stack your resume with certain words for it to generate a pop. For, for it to pop up, you know, maybe people need to go back to reading resumes, you know, maybe people need to go back to entertaining a phone call where someone says, hey, I know a person. And, and, and I don't think that's the answer. I think you have to create policy or strategy where, where you're able to employ people, not just to make a phone call. Like, hey, I know Ben, he's a really great guy, really great journalist. Can, can, you, can you hire him? No, or can you look at his, at his resume? I think you have to put something in place where people are back putting their eyes on resumes and, and actually looking for talent. And and how you how you can say, you know, if you work at McDonald's and you're a cashier, right? You may just consider it cashier. But to an HR person who's who has a trained eye, they understand that that's customer service. All right, last question. Uh, and I asked this today because I just did a story today about uh, the city of Wilmington investing pretty heavily in saving some trees down on South 17th Street, uh, down by the point. We get a lot of questions about saving what's left of the tree cover in Wilmington. Right. Do you feel like there's more the city needs to do, or are you guys on top of that? I think we're pretty much on top of it. i, I be honest, I do. I think the, the tree canopy is, is way better than what people imagine it to be. Um, it's 
we're getting a lot of flack for it, but I, I think it's in good shape. And, yeah, you know, to get some development, you're going to have to lose some trees, but I, I think they also don't factor in the fact that we have developers replace some trees, you know, and, and not butcher all the trees, save the ones that they can save, and then rebuild some once development goes up. So I, I think the tree canopy is in pretty good shape. All right. Well, that is our slate of questions from the community. Before we clock out here, I want to ask you for any closing thoughts you've got here. Well, I, uh, my closing thought is, you know, let's just continue the job that we've done. Um, I, I will say I worked extremely hard in the past four years, um, bringing a voice to, to for everybody, you know, um, but especially for people who felt like they didn't have a voice in, in past years, you know, and, and representation. We brought about representation. We brought about hard work, um, you know, so I, I'm willing and, and it's as as difficult and as tiring as the job is at times, you know, I am I'm willing to come back and, and do it for four more years and, and I'm looking for, for, you know, the voters to put me back into my seat. My seat. All right. Well Councilman Kevin Spears, candidate for re election in twenty twenty three. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Ben. That was our interview with incumbent Kevin Spears, who is running for re-election to Wilmington's City Council. I'm Ben Schachman. Thanks for listening to this special edition of The Newsroom. And check out our other candidate interviews at whqr.org or wherever you get The Newsroom as a podcast. <laughs>